Well, good morning. Have you guys ever had it happen before where you're at a restaurant or something and they mess up your food order, but you don't want to say anything, but your friend says, oh, I'll take care of it for you, and they go up and they fix it for you, and you're just relieved that you didn't have to say it and have to confront the issue? Well, that's how I feel right now, and I'm thankful that Dan's willing to point out some of those things, and I get to just come up and, and preach afterwards. So, yeah, thank you for that. Well, as many of you know, and Dan's already referenced, we just wrapped up this series uh, looking at the book of Revelations, and, and I've been asked just to share a little bit about our plans to, to plant this church in 2021-2022 uh, uh, time frame. Uh, we've been sitting on this for about a, a year now, just mulling over and, and talking about what this could look like. But the plans were really solidified back in March of 2020 uh, when Dan and I went down to Dallas. We went to a church planning conference that's hosted by the Assemblies of God. And we really used it as a time for us to uh, just look at what's being done and to just mull over this idea. And it was coming out of that trip that we were very confident and certain that this was something that God had uh, in store, not only for myself, but also for for HRCC. And so I'm just going to share a little bit about um, some of those desires, but more so I want to uh, create a foundation for us theologically as to, to why we do this as a church and why we're doing this as HRCC. And then how do I fit into that picture with how I, I believe God is leading me in so I actually want to start off by looking at the church's history of, of church planting. But before I do that, I want to take you guys back to a little bit of history. How many of you remember um, the forest that was right behind the church before they built the townhomes? Do you remember that? When you'd pull in, it was just all that greenery on your right-hand side. Well, I remember that very well because that's where most of my childhood was spent. Whether it was with my friends or if it was with the youth group, um, somehow I was always making contact with that forest. Um, and part of that, that childhood is we played a lot of games down there in, in the forest. We'd play tag down there. We'd ride our bikes through it. We would always have some kind of building project going on down there. Um, we, we would build like BMX ramps or tree houses or all kinds of different things. So I spent a lot of time in that forest. And so when it was torn down, that was, that was honestly a, a part of my childhood that was being torn down. And, and, you know, the townhouses are beautiful, but I can't go play in the townhouses anymore. I'd probably get arrested or something. Um, but one of the things that we did, and it was probably my most, my, my most favorite thing, was we played airsoft battles down there. If you don't know what an airsoft gun is, it's, uh, it's an automatic uh, air rifle, and they're just little plastic BBs. They're harmless. Um, but we would split up into teams, and we'd go down to the forest. We'd dress up in camouflage, and we would get really tactical, and we would, we would battle one another. And it was this last, last team standing, whoever was left. Um, and I remember one time when we were playing down there, um, I, I decided to get really strategic and tactical with, with uh, battling the other team. So you never wanted to stay on the main paths because if you did that, then you'd be right out in the open. They could see you easily and then you'd be out pretty quickly. So you wanted to stay off the main paths. Well, what I decided to do this time is there was this large patch of field that had no paths running through it, and there was all these shrubs about waist high. And so I decided I'm, gonna, I'm just going to move really slowly through this, this large patch, and, and I'm going to see if I can spot some of the, the, other, the enemy teammates, and, and uh, I'll tell my team where they're at. So I, I got down super low. I was in camo, and I just started moving very slowly through this brush, very slowly. I was keeping my eyes on the horizon. And I would say about 10, 15 minutes, that's how slow I was moving into it. Um, I, st I kept walking, and I noticed 
I wasn't hearing any rustling around me anymore. And I looked down and there was this patch that had just been cleared out, out in the middle of this field. And it was clear that it wasn't just because it wasn't getting sunlight or rain or something like that. Someone had gone in and cleared out a patch of this field. And the reason they did it was because right in the middle of this cleared out patch was this beautifully planted shrub or plant. And around it was chicken wire. Someone had gone in and cleared this place out and planted a tree that they wanted there. They put the chicken wire around and it was clear that they were coming, you know, maybe once a week or multiple times a week to come in and check on this plant. And I thought, how odd is this? I, I stumbled upon this. No one would have ever known it was here. But what was very obvious was that it was something that was done intentionally. It wasn't an accident that the leaves were, or the trees were all cleared out. It wasn't an accident that someone planted a tree there. It wasn't an accident that they kept, they kept coming back to, to check up on it. And when I think about the church's history of church planting, I think it's the same exact thing. It's something that's highly intentional. It's not, it's not by accident. Out in the chaos of all those bushes, we find one thing that was highly intentional and organized and cared for. And that's the church's history of planting churches. Out in the chaos of the world, we stumble upon something that is highly intentional and ordered and cared for and has a purpose. So when I look back at the beginning of church planting and the church's history... I think back to a place that Jesus went to very periodically. And it's easy to overlook this, but if you look through the Gospels and the New Testament at large, you'll, you'll see that Jesus always went to the synagogue. He always went to the synagogue. Luke even points out that it was his, his habit, his custom to go to the synagogue. That was always the first place that he stopped when he went to a new city. That's where he was on the Sabbath. He went to the synagogue. Now, the reason this is important is because the synagogue is not the temple. The synagogue is not the temple. The temple was the epicenter of Jewish faith and the Jewish religion. The temple is where the priests were. That's where you'd go to give your tithes. That's where you'd go to worship Yahweh. That is where everyone knew that was the epicenter of the Jewish faith. But there became a problem and an issue. There was only one temple. But many God-fearers, many followers of Yahweh were getting too far away from physical Jerusalem, from the physical temple. And they weren't able to go there every week like we're able to travel here. They weren't able to worship on a weekly basis or on a regular basis because it was just too far. It wasn't, it wasn't practical. And so what they began to do is they started to, to create these synagogues where it was a meeting place that was farther out from Jerusalem where they could get together and they could worship together and they could follow Yahweh and honor Yahweh together and they wouldn't have to go all the way to the temple. Now, they would still make their way out to the temple periodically for festivals or special events or whatnot, but their main place of worship was the synagogue. And so what we see is a highly intentional act. They solved the issue of access. They weren't able to go to the temple, so they created the synagogue, so it was more accessible to them. But the real heart of the issue was this. It's really easy to be Jewish when you're in Jerusalem because everyone's following Yahweh in Jerusalem. You're around your people. Your Jewish identity is all around you. But what happens when you get outside of Jerusalem and you're in a city that worships a pagan god? Well, now you have to fight for your identity. Now protecting that Jewish identity that you've known all of your life becomes a battle and you have to be more intentional about it. So 
These synagogues were places that were there to protect and to preserve their Jewish identity of Yahweh followers. So we see highly intentional behavior with this church plant of this synagogue. But then we fast forward and we look at Paul. Paul also, just like Jesus in the book of Acts, he would go into a new city. The first place he would go is the synagogue because he knew in the synagogues he would find Jews, people who followed Yahweh. He would go there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you see, Paul encountered an issue. That very Jewish identity that the synagogues were seeking to preserve was something that actually got in the way of the gospel that Paul was preaching. Paul was seeking to establish this new identity in Christ Jesus. And many of you already know, Paul was sent to preach to who? The Gentiles. The Gentiles was anybody who wasn't a Jew. But Paul understood that the gospel included all peoples in the world, not just the Jewish people. But the Jewish people knew that they had been chosen by Yahweh. That was a core factor of their identity. So they believed in their heart they had been chosen by Yahweh, which was absolutely true. But that becomes a major issue when you are told, oh, he's also chosen all of them too. And that was the message of Paul. That was the message of Jesus Christ is that all, all are included in this new kingdom of Jesus So Paul would go into these synagogues and he would preach the gospel. But then he would also go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel as well. And then those who believed the message, he would bring all together, Jew and Gentile, because they were assembled not under an ethnic heritage, but they were assembled under a spiritual heritage, which was faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul has these communities of people, again, it's highly intentional because they are there to establish this identity in Christ Jesus. And they are there to preserve and to grow and to protect this new identity in Christ Jesus. So Paul was intentional about establishing identity. So we see highly intentional behavior when it came down to church planting. And a lot has happened between now and between then and now. There's been thousands of churches that have been planted all over the world, all over this country, and all over this state. Our cultures have changed drastically, and the tools that we have at our disposal are far different than those that were held by Paul or even Martin Luther. These are, there are all kinds of books and methods out there. If you really want to get bogged down at church planting, there's plenty of material to do it. Because there's so many different methods and ways to do it. And, and I'm not saying those things aren't good. I, I'm, there's many good things in there. There's many good resources in there. But I think it's, it's our responsibility and it's certainly my responsibility that the first place that we start is Scripture. And looking at God's method of church planting. And what I see is that God's model has always been to plant image bearers in the world. God's model has always been to plant image bearers in the world. Well, what is an image bearer? An image bearer is one who is sent to represent the one who sent them. 
I'll say that again. An image bearer is one who is sent to represent the one who sent them. I believe that if you can grasp the concept of what it means to be an image bearer, then church planting, then your identity in the world, so many things fall into line if you can understand what it means to be an image bearer. You see, image bearing was so important that it's mentioned right at the beginning of the Bible in chapter 1 of Genesis. Let me read verse 26 in chapter 1 of Genesis. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The first image bearers that were ever appointed on the earth was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the first image bearers. And God gave them a mandate. He said, let us make mankind in our image so that they may do what? So that they could rule. Now, we hear the word rule, we might think of tyranny. We may think of toxic leadership, but that's not what God was referring to. You see, when God said, let us make mankind in our image, God was not referring to divinity. He was not making this divine. But what he was doing is he was saying, let us give them a piece of our responsibility. Let, let us make them in a way that they can rule as we would rule. Let us give them responsibilities unto ours. God is the ruler of all creation. But he said, let us make mankind in a way where they can also rule. Where they can do what? Where they can represent the Godhead through their actions. And so it was Adam and Eve's mandate to be image bearers to creation. To rule over creation in a way that creation would know their creator through their actions. They were image bearers in the world. Romans 8, 19-20 unfortunately depicts the fall of that and what ended up happening. You guys know the story. Adam and Eve, they fell. They sinned. They sinned. Now, it's important to know they didn't cease to be image bearers, but now they had a fallen nature and they had sin. And Romans 8 uh, verses 19 through 21 says this, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Pastor Dan just finished preaching on Revelations. And at the end of Revelations, the promise is that God will one day restore all things back to the way that he originally intended for it to be. And Paul is saying that all of creation is yearning for that day. Not only because of God's uh, restoration of all those things, but it says because Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Well, who are they? They are the image bearers that Adam, Adam and Eve were supposed to be. Creation is waiting to see image bearers that will rule over creation the way that God always intended for it to be. So we have Adam and Eve. And just a couple, uh, one other one to note before I get on to Jesus himself was also was Abraham. Abraham was a significant image bearer. And the reason why he was significant was not so, not so much just because he was called to be an image bearer, but he was called to lead an entire nation of image bearers. Part of the covenant that he had with God, with Yahweh, was that every one of his people, every one of his children and his lineage would be bound in the same covenant as him. And what's significant is God says that this nation, any other nation that blesses the nation of Israel, that blesses Abraham's children, God says himself, I will bless. 
But any nation that curses this nation, I will curse. Well, why is that? Because they are image bearers of Yahweh. And if any nation looks upon that nation and blesses that nation, they are blessing Yahweh himself. Remember, an image bearer is one who is sent to represent on behalf of the one who sent them. So based on the way a nation would treat Israel, they are treating Yahweh himself. And so if they bless, they bless Yahweh. If they curse, they curse Yahweh himself. So you have Abraham, but of course, the most perfect image bearer of all time was Jesus himself. He was the one that was the last Adam because he did what the first Adam was not able to do. Jesus was the perfect image bearer. And in John 14, 8 through 9, we read this. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is directly referencing the fact that he is God's image bearer in the world. And at that, he was the perfect image bearer. He perfectly revealed the Father through his words, through his action, through his heart, through his compassion and his mercy. Anybody who looked upon Jesus, he said, you have seen the Father if you have see me because I am the perfect image bearer that's come into the world to reveal reveal the Father. God's method is planting us. God's method is planting us in the world. I know this may sound a little counterintuitive, but as I was studying this, I realized that I was assuming something when I asked the question to myself, why do we plant churches? And I felt like the Holy Spirit convicted me saying, whoa, 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 you don't plant churches. I plant you. I plant you in the world. You become a church, but don't don't get it twisted. I plant you in the world. You are my image bearer and you are my seed. We are the seeds that God plants in the world. Listen, I know we're talking about church plants today, but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that, look, you are the seed that is planted in your workplace. You are the seed that is planted in your home. You are the seed that God has planted in the supermarket when you're doing your grocery shopping. You are the seed that is planted on your Facebook page. And God is counting on you to be an image bearer in all the places that he has planted you in the world. He's done it with intentionality. It is not by accident. And he's looking for you to care for the responsibility that he has given to you. So yes, there's a portion of this church that will be sent out and will be planted in another community and will become a thriving church that will reveal God. But I want you to know that just because you may not be a part of that does not mean that you do not have responsibility as an image bearer in this world. Look, you have been planted just as much as we're going to be planted in another community. We are all image bearers. We are all image bearers in this world and we have been planted by God. If God sends and plants us because he is missional, then it would make sense today that we would send people out from our congregation because we are also missional. Missionality is measured by your willingness to partner with God's sending nature. Missionality is measured by your willingness to partner with God's sending nature. Remember, God is the one who sends. It's our job to partner with God, not only in obedience to go, but also in obedience to let others go. I believe that the reason why HRCC is sending us out is because HRCC is a missional church. 
HRCC is a missional church. Now, I'm going to do a little bragging on Pastor Dan and on, on this church here in, in this section. And I know I'm a little bit biased, but uh, it's worth it, okay? HRCC, when Dan got here, he was very intentional about creating a missional culture in this church. And one of the first ways that we saw the fruit of that culture was in our missions giving. As many of you know, year over year over year, the missions giving in this church has just increased and increased and increased. And we have done such a good job at missions giving that we're pretty much at a place now where we're just in competition with ourselves. We are so far beyond what is expected of a church this size to give in missions that now we're just challenging ourselves. And that came because Dan put such an emphasis on the importance of missions in this church. And it started bearing fruit, and fruit abundantly. But another way that we began to see it, whether you realized it or not, was we, we saw a couple families leave this church over the, the past couple years. The first family was the McGarvey's. The McGarvey's felt they were called to move to Colorado. And although we did not send the McGarvey's to Colorado, one thing we did do is we let them go to Colorado. What I mean is, of course, we didn't have the authority to tell them no, but we blessed them when they went. We encouraged them. We came alongside them. And I want to share with you, if you don't know this, this time next Sunday, the McGarvey family will be standing in the first service of a church plant in Colorado. Again, we did not send them. That was not our sending. But what we did do is we recognized, oh, no. God has called them to go. We didn't know they were going to plant a church, but we knew that God was calling them somewhere else. And so we were obedient to let them go and to bless them as they went. Another family was the beloved Delgados. They went to Austin, Texas, and we knew what they were going there to do, to plant a church in Austin. Rachel is heading up a church plant in Austin. Again, we did not send them but we let them go because we realized that God was calling them down there for his work. So part of missionality is allowing them to go. So first, the first fruit we saw was in our missions giving. Then we saw it in our obedience to let others go. But now we're seeing it in Beth Boven. Now it's not just a letting go. Now it's a, hey, we're coming alongside because we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're doing this. Let's go. We're going to send you. And Beth's going not very close to here. She's going very far from here, but it's intentional and they're sending there. And what else are we doing? We're planting a church. It's intentional. They're sending there. HRCC is sending because HRCC is missional. And not only is HRCC missional, but HRCC is also a healthy church. When I was practicing, I wondered how many times am I going to say HRCC, HRCC? HRCC is also a healthy church. Now, I know I'm a little bit biased because I'm on staff here and I grew up in this church and I love this church, but I will back that up with a biblical example here. Um, when I think of uh, a healthy church in Scripture, the first place that I go to is the church of Antioch in the book of Acts. And the, the church in Antioch was notable because they sent Paul and, or Saul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, which you know is very significant because of the work that, that Paul ended up doing. But let's look at the first five verses in uh, Acts chapter 13. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Quickly, two things that we can learn about healthy churches from the church in Antioch. The first one is this. Healthy churches realize that people are God's possession first. It says at the beginning of those first five verses that the church in Antioch sent off Saul and Barnabas. But by the time we get to verse 4, just two verses down, it says the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Well, did Luke just contradict himself? I thought the church in Antioch sent the two off. Now you're saying the Holy Spirit sent the two off? Well, those two things are actually the same if you realize that people are God's possession first. We just talked about missionality as partnering with God and what He is doing. And the church in Antioch was so good at it because they recognized what Holy Spirit was doing, then they partnered with, with it, and they sent them off. So not only did they send them off, but they also allowed them to go because they recognized what the Holy Spirit was doing. Healthy churches realize that people are God's possession first, I have heard, unfortunately, so many stories of churches um, that have guilted people when they felt they were called to go um, elsewhere. I have really close friends in ministry that have told me many stories of how they would go to their pastoral staff or their team and say, look, you know, my family and I, we really feel like God's calling us to a different state or to do this or that. And the church, instead of recognizing what God was doing in their life, they would immediately default to how it, it would impact their church and how it would impact their, their mission. And they would start to guilt them and shame them. They would even, I heard times where they would convict them of saying, you're only looking out for yourself and you're being selfish by going and doing this. Why, why aren't you thinking about this church and how it's going to impact this church? And at HRCC, I just want to say thank you because... Ever since we started talking about this church plant, that has not happened here one time. I've had nothing but encouragement from, from everybody in here. I've, had, I've seen nothing but excitement. So I, I want to thank you for, for not putting me in that position and for partnering with what we believe the Holy Spirit is doing there. But HRCC, you're killing it because you're realizing that, look, people are God's possession first. As much as we love the McGarveys, look, that was a bad Sunday for me. I really miss the McGarveys, but... They're God's first. They were God's first. And we missed the Delgados, but look, they, they're God's first. And, and if God says that they need to go somewhere, then we need to be obedient in allowing them to go. And the second thing is that healthy churches and healthy leaders, they call out giftings and others. What I absolutely love is that before Barnabas, so Barnabas had gone to the church in Antioch first. And the reason that happened was because there was such persecution happening in Jerusalem that there was a lot of these uh, followers of Jesus that because of the persecution, they spread out all over the place to get away from it. And one of the places that they went was to Antioch in Syria. Now, what I love is that the same thing that got them in trouble in the first place in, in persecution back in Jerusalem, they did not stop doing when, they, when they, they were on the run. They continued to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they go to Antioch and they continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jews begin to believe there in this gospel. But someone else begins to believe as well, the Gentiles. The Gentiles believe in the gospel as well. And so word gets back to the main church in Jerusalem that, hey, Jews and Gentiles are believing out in, in, in Antioch. And so they send Barnabas, like, Barnabas, go look into this. 
Go see what's happening. And so Barnabas goes out there and he sees, in fact, yes, Jews and Gentiles are believing the gospel. And so what Paul or what Barnabas does next is so fascinating. Barnabas leaves Antioch and he goes to a place called Tarsus. And the reason he goes to Tarsus is because he was looking for a man named Saul. Saul was called to preach to who? The Gentiles. And so he, he knew the calling that God had placed on Saul's life. And he said, I, I have a place for you. Because I know what God has called you to do. And there's a need for it over here. And so Barnabas goes and gets Saul and he brings him back to Antioch. And they served that community for quite some time before they were, just like we read, sent out by the Holy Spirit to go to other cities. But healthy churches and healthy leaders, they realize and they call out the calling of God and the gifting that God has given other people in their body. And on top of that, Barnabas one step, went one step further. He didn't just call it out, but he said, I actually know exactly where you can begin to exercise that gift. Healthy churches call out gifting, but they also help to put structure around the calling. And just like Barnabas helped Paul in walking out his calling, Dan and this church has done the same for me and I know for countless others as well. Beyond these past couple years, there's not been a day in my life that I woke up and said, I can't wait to plant a church. I can't wait to plant a church. I know that may sound a little concerning to you. I promise you it's not, but it just wasn't something that was on my radar. And Dan and I, we, we meet pretty much every single week. And I would say uh, I've been on staff here for uh, four years now. And I'd say about two or three times a year in those meetings, Dan would just ask me periodically, so what's the next five to ten years of your life uh, look like? And I'd say five or six times I had the same answer, which was I have no idea. Uh, I might do uh, Christian conferences, or I might fall back on my undergrad degree and do marketing or something like that, or maybe some video production, but I'm not quite sure. And that, like I said, that lasted about five or six times before Dan said, yeah, we're going to have a longer meeting about this. And so uh, we did that. And Dan sat me down and what it was, was he was just being a pastor in, in that moment. He was, he was pastoring me. And, and he sat down, and, and I talked a little bit um, about what I felt like God was leading me to in my life. And, and, and Dan went through what he knew about me. And, and, and he said, you know, all the things that I know about you, um, that sounds like a church planner to me. That sounds like a church planner to me. I, I know other church planners in my life, and uh, I know them pretty well. And when I look at you, I, I see a church planner. And I promise you that this was not Dan trying to coerce me into doing something. That's not at all what it was. Uh, Dan was just trying to help me see what God could have in the, in the future for me. And so uh, we didn't end that meeting by uh, Dan handing me a paper saying, will you sign on the dotted line that you're going to follow through with this or anything like that. Uh, but we left the meeting with me just saying, I'm going to go pray about this. And I'm just going to go seek this out a little bit. And so that's what I did. And, and I can tell you, church, something very interesting happened when I uh, began to pray about this. Before I tell you what that is, I want to read Psalm 37, 4, which says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of his heart. That's actually not what it says. I just messed it up. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But I actually didn't mess it up because, you see, as I started to press in and I started to pray, one of, one of the first things I do in prayer, and I encourage you to do the same, is really make sure that you're, you're pursuing God's will and not your own. And so I, I got before God and I said, Father, I just want to do, I just want to do your will. I just want to do your will. You've never let me down and I believe you never will let me down. And so I just want to do your will. And so I, I prayed about what it could look like uh, with church planting. I just laid it down before God. And next thing you know it, this really strong desire rose up in me to plant a church. 
God began to cast vision in my, in my mind and in my heart about church planting. I began to see it. He began to give me names and titles. He, he, put, a, he put, name, uh, put, put a name to the baby that, that he was uh, 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 giving to me. And by baby, I mean that metaphorically. But, um, but he began to inspire me. And he placed that desire in me to do this. And again, I know we're talking about church planting, but I, I, need, to, I need to leave this uh, with you. If you will get before God and you will take delight in his will, and by delighting, I mean you get before God and say, I trust you. Your will is perfect. Your ways are perfect. You are good in everything that you do. If you will get before God and take delight in who he is and take delight in his will, you'll notice something. Your desires will begin to change. This verse does not mean that God is just going to give you whatever you desire in the materialistic sense. That's not what this is referring to. What happens is when you get before God and you look at how good he is, your desires begin to change. When you look at how compassionate he is, when you look at his forgiving nature and his merciful nature, when you look at how good it is and you start to delight and delight you say, that right there is good. That right there is perfect. What begins to happen is that your desires begin to change. You begin to say, I, I want to be just like that. I want to be forgiving. I want to be compassionate. I want to be merciful. And so the desires of your heart begin to be shaped by God's desires. But the same thing happens when it comes down to, to destiny. It comes down to God's plan for your life. And I believe God did the same exact thing for me. He began to shape my desire. And he said, son, yeah, I've called you to be a church planner. You, you weren't able to see it before, and that's okay, but you see it now. And so he gave me the desire to back that up. I just want to close just with a few remarks on this church plant and, and what makes me excited about it. I believe that church planting has changed a lot. It's changed a lot over the past even few years, and especially now since COVID has hit. And one of the things that really excites me about church planting is a lot of church planters now are realizing how important it is to be incarnational in our communities. What it means to get outside of the four walls and to be present in the community, just like Jesus was present. Just like Jesus spent time with the people that the Pharisees would, would uh, give him a hard time about. Why are you spending time with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all the sinners? Why are you spending time with them? Because Jesus was incarnational. Jesus went and lived among them. And one thing that really excites me is whatever city, whatever community that we are planted in, I believe God has called us to be highly incarnational, to be image bearers where people can see the light so clearly because we're in dark places. That really excites me. That really excites me. Another thing that really excites me as well is that um, what I, another thing I'm seeing a lot of is churches are beginning to be very entrepreneurial in the way that they're shaping their church plants, their church plants, whether this is a, a coffee shop in it or they're doing some kind of a venue type style in their church building where throughout the week it's functioning as a venue and then on Sunday morning they come in and, and they set up church. Well, that really excites me. That's stuff that I love to do. I love to start things from scratch, from the beginning, from the start and build it up. And I believe this is the reason why church planting just fits me so perfectly and God knew it all along is these desires I've had all my life. I feel like God's like, son, don't you realize that's for the kingdom of God? I haven't called you to build up a business out there for the world to gain on. No, no, no. I've called you to build up something 
for my kingdom, to make my glory known. And so that's why my heart beats for this church plant, is that God showed me, you've had these desires all your life. You just didn't realize what they were for. But now you do know. I've called you to build my church. I've called you to build my church. And so HRCC, I just want to thank you once again for all your support, for all your affirmation that, that you've given myself. And, and thank you for those who uh, I know are planning on, on coming with us. And again, I just can't thank you enough for how much uh, you've blessed me and, and uh, blessed this, this venture that HRCC is, is, is coming on. Uh, let, me, let me pray over us as we close. Father, I, I just thank you for the mandate that you have given each and every one of us to be image bearers in this world and to serve you and to make you known. And so, Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, whether it's planning a church or whether it's sitting in a cubicle in an office, give us eyes to see what it means to be an image bearer in this world. Father, we just thank you once again for what you are doing in this church, in HRCC. And we thank you for what you're doing globally in your church. And that we get to be a part of that. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Well, church, thanks again for being with us today. Be blessed as you go on with your day.